0: You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. 2 Timothy 2, we'll read it in just a moment. Um, A few years ago, I was introduced to a book called Why Baptist uh, by a pastor named Jim Alter. And uh, I know Brother Alter, uh, we're, we're, you know, we're not really close friends, but I've spent some time around him, and, uh, and he, do, he does a good job in this book, called, again, called Why Baptist, explaining what you might call Baptist principles. And by the way, uh, I, I believe Baptist principles and Bible principles are and should be synonymous. So Bible principles, Baptist principles, they're the same thing, meaning... We're not Bible believers because we're Baptists. We're Baptists because we're Bible believers. And to be Baptist is to follow the Bible. That's why I'm a Baptist. I hope that's your reason for being a Baptist tonight is that I believe that Baptist doctrine falls in line with Scripture. And that's why that's what we should have as a qualification. So as I was trying to get some direction about what to preach on Wednesdays for the next few weeks... I decided to use them for maybe just for a time to preach and teach through some doctrine. And if I call it Baptist doctrine or I call it Baptist distinctives, um, it's not because I think it's strictly Baptist, it's because I think it's Bible. That's our doctrine, that's our stance. And when I don't uh, maybe have a direction towards something else on Wednesday nights, then this will probably be my default for a time. I don't know how long we will go, but just to cover some of the basic doctrines. And I know many churches call Wednesday nights a Bible study. And so I figured focusing on doctrine would fit just fine and probably something that's necessary and needed as well. And while I know it may not seem as applicable as other kinds of messages, we really do need to know what we believe and why we believe it, folks. And in an age when truth is being questioned and Bible doctrine is being downplayed, for the sake of unity and all come together, tear down the walls. That's kind of how it is these days. I see it as being not just important but essential that we as a church are grounded on why we believe what we believe from the Bible. So we're going to study some of the primary doctrines and at times then um, I'm using Brother Alter's book for some of his thoughts. But, uh, but as a guide, although I really primarily will be using it as a springboard as we jump into things even like I have tonight. So this is certainly not going to be an exhaustive study, but what I hope is it spurs you to study for yourself. Uh, This should be nothing, there should be nothing as exciting for God's people than learning about God. I'm studying this book should be motivating for us. Uh, But even more than that, we also need uh, need to be careful because there's a rise of what you might call Ecumenism, or you know, the, the term "ecumenical," which is again uh, tearing down the walls of doctrine for the sake of unity, and the, the, there's an emphasis over or on unity over purity of doctrine, and doctrines in some ways, in many circles, being downplayed for the sake of unity. But nowhere in the Bible does it say we should ignore Bible teaching for the sake of fellowship. As a matter of fact, uh, we felt sorry. Just got distracted. Somebody just ran across the back with a peewee kid in tow like this. So, ah, oh boy. There they go. Okay. I don't know what happened, but I kind of want to find out later. Okay. We really need to get tent on these, wind- these doors back here. <laughs> Whew. That was going so good, too. Okay. Okay, nowhere in the Bible does it say that we should ignore Bible teaching for the sake of fellowship. And we fellowship around good Bible teaching. That's how we fellowship. So uh, I want to start here in 2 Timothy and just read this text here as, a, as again, I don't normally preach this way, but when you're preaching um, about doctrine you don't typically, a lot of times, stay in one passage. You, you start one place and then you go other places. And tonight, really, we're not even getting into any of the core doctrine. I'm just getting, almost giving you a reason why we would, we would do a study like this. And kind of some big picture things here as we get into it. So Second Timothy chapter 2, and it says in verse 14. Of these things, put them in remembrance... Charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And their word will eat as doth a canker of whom is Hymenius and Philetus who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. So this is obviously Paul, and he's writing to Timothy, who's a pastor at the church in Ephesus, and he's telling him that as a pastor, it's Timothy's responsibility to steer them away from false teaching, to steer them away from false doctrine. Look again in verse 14, of these things, Put them in, the, in remembrance. He's, so he's saying to Timothy, as the pastor over the people there in the church, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. And so he says, Timothy, help your people stay away from words that have no profit. And basically, he's te- you need to teach them that if it's not useful doctrine, if it's if it's not, if it's false doctrine, it's not profitable doctrine. It's useless, and those are useless words. And the word subverting there at the end, he's saying that if you, if they are engaged in these these uh, empty words that have no profit, it will subvert the hearers. And that word subver- subverting, if you look it up in the Greek, it's actually the word catastrophe. So if if doctrine Doesn't get and it's not in check. If you don't filter doctrine on whether or not it's true or false, it has catastrophic effects on hearers. It is false doctrine is destructive to those that pay attention to it. False doctrine leads to destruction. That's what he's saying. Verse fifteen: Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And we know that, we've heard that verse, probably many of us have it memorized. What he's saying is a man that pleases the Lord is diligent in his studies and in his teaching. You want to please the Lord, be diligent in your study. If you want to please the Lord, get into God's word and study it and know it. You won't be ashamed if you rightly divide the word of truth. And rightly divide the word of truth means just to cut it straight. In other words, he's saying there's not an angle you're coming at with God's word. You're simply going to stand before people and you're going to cut it straight for them. Just right down the line. You're not going to get fancy. You're not going to try to get deep into these other meetings and and all of these things. You're going to cut it straight. And if you'll do that, you won't be ashamed before God. As a matter of fact, you'll please God. Verse 16, it says, but shun profane and vain babblings. For they will increase unto more ungodliness. And I think the word shun is a word most of us understand. It simply it gives our response to false doctrine. It means to avoid unholy, profane, and useless teachings, babblings. So very clearly, Paul is saying here that we are to shun, avoid those that don't cut it straight. Verse 17. And as if in good language here to to, uh, describe it. And their word will eat as doth a canker. A canker refers to gangrene. We think of a canker. What do you think of? You think of a canker sore, okay? And a canker sore is usually just a sore. But the idea of the word here in the Greek is gangrene. It's an infection. It's, It's rotten. And if something doesn't get done with the corruption in that part of the body... It it better be dealt with or it will affect the whole body. So the infection spreads. And if the the infection spreads, it could prove to be fatal. Then he he calls out two men, Hymenius and Philetus, for preaching false doctrine. And look what they were teaching, verse 18. Who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. So they were teaching on the resurrection, which would imply the resurrection of the saints, because someday um, at the second coming of Christ, we will all rise, amen, and it will be at the rapture, and then we believe that Jacob's trouble, that seven-year tribulation comes, and after the seven-year tribulation, then Jesus Christ comes back for the second coming, and he, that's when we come back with him, and, uh, and then all the wars break out, and, and we finally get to see Satan for a thousand years cast cast away and then he rises up again at the end and I'm not going to give an eschatological lesson tonight but, but the resurrection was important for the New Testament believers because they were facing all kinds of things and in their minds the resurrection gave them hope if Christ rose from the dead and someday he's coming back for me if I die then I'll be right I'll be I'll resurrect with Christ I don't have to worry about that but these men came along and they're saying it's already done they're saying you already missed it, and because they were teaching that, then these, then some, it said they've lost the faith had been lost because they thought, well, it's already over. What point is it for me to continue to follow Christ? The resurrection's over. I already missed it. I can't. I can't have that to look forward to, and so it cost them their faith. So I bring this passage up today because I want you to see very clearly that Paul very obviously taught doctrinal purity over unity. He very clearly said, uh, listen, unity matters, obviously, in many other places, but when it comes to doctrinal purity, there will come a time, there could come a time, where you have to shun somebody who's not teaching the right doctrines. And what we get here is the idea, I mean, unity does matter, it does, but you cannot enjoy true unity unless everyone's on the same page. You cannot tr- enjoy true unity unless there is doctrinal purity. And Second Timothy contains, it's just one example from Paul, that truth matters, rightly dividing the word of truth. As a matter of fact, with just a quick search today, um, at, at my desk, I, the word truth in Paul's letters uh, or epistles, the word truth came up 49 times. The word doctrine appeared at least 23 times. And that may not be all the forms of truth or doctrine. That's just a quick search. So Paul spent lots of time and sometimes whole books, like the book of Galatians, disputing false doctrines, teaching the truth. If we could sum up most of what Paul said in his epistles, you could say it like this. Paul said the most important thing you can do is teach the truth stand up teach the truth stand up cut it straight it's a major theme in Paul's epistles and it leads us to this thought that doctrine matters truth matters but in teaching doctrine there are some a few things about doctrinal teaching that are good for us to remember and, and this is where I wasn't planning on it going this direction, but I feel like I, I need to lay some groundwork before we move on to under things. And, and the first thing that, that, that comes to my mind today is we can teach doctrine all we want, but right, right doctrine is not a mandate, meaning you can't make somebody believe it. And I know the word mandate is not everybody's favorite word right now. Hopefully it's not a trigger word for you and then break out into anxiety and a sweat, but Listen, the Bible doesn't teach that we mandate or force people to believe truth. We can't force it. We we can't make somebody believe it. Can we proclaim it? Can we teach it? Can we hope that somebody believes it based on that? Absolutely. But listen, every person will stand before God and give account directly to God individually for what they believed and practiced. And so every person must make the decision about what they believe for themselves each of us has a right to be wrong. And some people u- utilize that right often. So, We can mandate a person's behavior, but we can't mandate a-, a person's conscience. And we're seeing that right now a lot. There's a lot of mandating going on, but it's not convincing anybody that their position is wrong. We can force be- to people to behave a certain way, but we cannot force them to think a certain way. And that's why it matters that we know what we truly believe. Because if we're going to convince anybody of it, if we're going to convince anybody of the truth of God's word, we have to be able to articulate it because we can't force it. You see how that's important? It's kind of like in raising children. Um, in raising your children, you can simply force them to obey your rules. And as they're, I mean, when they're young, they obey it. They, they have to, and, and you force it on them. But if you never get to the place as they get older that you transition from forcing it to articulating it, then chances are when they get to be old enough to choose it for themselves, they won't. Because their whole lives, it's never really been explained to them why, it's just been explained to them What? And you say, well, bless God, that's how it's supposed to be. Parents just, I I mean, when they're young, I, I believe that. And honestly, even if young people don't understand why, they should still do the what. Because they're submissive to their parents. But on the other hand, I think we owe it to them to articulate the why. I think we owe it to them to be able to explain from Scripture why our family has this standard, or, or why, why we do this, or why we believe this, because we are not a religion of force. There are other religions out there that are religions of force, and they, they're going to take the world by storm, and they're going to force you to believe what they believe um, under threat, but that's not, what the, that's not the Bible way of convincing people to believe the truth. Bible believers don't believe in conviction by force. We can't force people to believe a certain way, but I do believe if we can articulate things well enough, that carries more force than force. See, we still give people room to make their own decisions, and if they choose not to believe, we have to practice some form of separation. That's what Paul is talking about here in 2 Timothy. And as much as we want unity with as many people as we can enjoy it, we have to come to terms with this fact, things that are different are not the same. Things that are different are not the same. See, it's true in Bible versions. You have a lot of people that say, well, this Bible version is very similar to this. Uh, things that are different are not the same. Um, it's true in Churches. You know, we could say that we're the same as another church, but things that are different are not the same if there's different doctrine and different philosophy and different methodology. I mean, it's true in the natural world, as as friendly as a dog and a cat want to be, things that are different are not the same. It's true when it comes to car quality. Fords and Chevys are not the same. That's the best response of the night. I knew it. When it comes to quality, Fords are certainly not Chevys. I thought I'd get an amen. When it comes to quality, Chevys are certainly not Fords. Okay, see, well, there's one. It's true when it comes to food. It's true, I mean, McDonald's is not Minerva's. <laughs> things that are different are not the same and things that claim to be food may not be, okay? So, you know, think, uh, if there are two different churches and one practices, and I'm not trying to make this a hot button, I'm just simply saying and one practices infant baptism. And another practices baptism after free will salvation. Those two things are not the same. And yet we live in a culture, a religious culture, that's trying to convince us that doctrine doesn't matter and let's tear the walls down and let's, and let's just practice unity. But you cannot have unity without purity. You can't. Amos 3.3 3 says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? And it's a hypothetical question, but it's also an easy answer. I'll ask it again and you answer it. Can two walk together except they be agreed? No, they cannot. Two people can't run together in, this, in opposite directions. If, if you're going different directions, you, you're not going to the same place. Uh, it's kind of like and maybe you've seen these before and these are some of my favorite things to watch at picnics And is the potato sack race you've seen this before when people are running together. They put their foot in the, the sack, their inside foot, and they run together. And when they're running together, everything is great. But as soon as one step gets off, it's a glorious catastrophe as we saw earlier. It's fun. Make sure you have the, the uh, video camera rolling when you have a potato sack race. But you've seen it. You, uh, can two run together except they be agreed? No, they can't. If they're not on the same pace and their legs aren't moving at the same time, um, they down they go. So we've been called to study and rightfully divide the word of truth. And it sounds simple enough, but the temptation will be there to compromise what you believe in order to be unified. That's the that's the temptation of our day. And Paul had to tell Timothy to shun the ones that were teaching false doctrine. And there's so much pressure from the outside telling us to compromise what we believe. Telling us that our doctrine's not important and we're, we're told to claim absolute, when we claim absolute truth, we're told it's judgmental and if we're, and we're told we're not being respectful of somebody else's truth and that we should just drop our lines and come together in unity because that matters more than anything. And that way of thinking is everywhere. I mean, the love wins mentality, maybe you've heard of that, and love wins, and major evangelical leaders have latched onto this, and I believe in charity, absolutely, I mean, you can't read 1 Corinthians 13 and not believe in charity, charity matters, and charity should be a trademark of Eastside Baptist Church, I believe it matters, but love doesn't cancel out matters of doctrine. The love wins mantra says love is the supreme character trait that we all need to embrace and look past lifestyle choices, look past belief systems, look past morality and just love. But things that are different are not the same. We can't compromise our belief systems if they're truly biblical for the sake of love and unity, but it's happening all around us. And that leads to this next thought about doctrine. So, uh, and this one is we have to guard against letting go of the things we've received. You know, if, if we have to be careful that things that are different are not the same, then that means that we have to guard. And I know this isn't a popular thing to preach about, but we're, we're not guarding our building and saying you can't come in unless you're just like us. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we have been given something and for us to let go of it flippantly would be a big mistake. I want to look over at Proverbs 22. Let's look there. Proverbs 22. And again, these thoughts may seem random tonight. Just laying some groundwork. Proverbs chapter 22 Verse 28, it says, remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. Okay, remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. What does that mean? Well, in most places, and I think South Dakota would be included in this. uh, I know it's this way in Oklahoma, but property lines are marked by boundaries um, like, you know, trees or fences. But it used to be that property lines were marked by stone, a stone wall or a large rock or a rock line. The boundary corners would often be marked by a rock or a tree or other, some other natural landmark. And it wouldn't be any different in the days of Solomon. You're, he's saying your family heritage was based on your property. And what he's saying is you didn't want somebody to remove your landmark and steal your heritage. You wouldn't want to just kind of open things up for anybody to come in and do what they want on your property. It's your heritage. It's your inheritance. You received it from your family. And so if you remove the landmark, then anybody can just come in and claim what they want. That's the idea here. Look over at Proverbs 23, verse 10. This is very similar. It's a similar idea when it comes to what we believe. Look at twenty-three, ten. It says, remove not the old landmark and enter not into the fields of the fatherless. So what happens when the old landmarks are removed from our faith? Well, he says, remove not the old landmark, enter not into the fields of the fatherless. So removing a landmark was like kicking down a boundary that was there for your protection. And it, it kept you from wandering into a field you shouldn't have been in. And it also kept others from overtaking your heritage. So the boundary matters. The landmark matters, but Solomon then refers to this fields of the fatherless, which I would love to preach a whole message on that just because it's a catchy phrase. Remove not the old landmark before he will uh, and enter not into their fields of their fatherless. And It's interesting language because when someone is fatherless, they've lost contact with where they came from a person who doesn't have a father or doesn't know their father, they're not maybe sure where they came from. Their father is where they came from and if they're fatherless, they don't know where they came from. The fatherless implies there are those that don't know where they come from and when someone doesn't, folks, listen, when someone doesn't know where they come from, you also can't tell where where they will end up. If someone doesn't know where they've come from, I'll say it again. In other words, if they don't have any attachments to anything and they come along, you don't know where they might end up. You can tell where someone's going based on where they've come from. And we're trying to keep a generation of Bible-believing Baptists from kicking down boundaries and wandering into the fields of the fatherless. See, there are countless fields of the fatherless in this culture Uh, they've kicked down connections to the past and they feel no obligations to their forefathers and and they have no concern to keep in line with what they've received. And I mean in the religious realm, in our religious culture. There's no telling where where they're going to end up because they have no attachments to where they got what they believe in the first place. And I'll just use these as example. Those that have released from their father's formal reverential approach to services have gone so far into the casual that it feels like a coffee meet and greet instead of a meeting with God. See, and there are countless um, churches that receive something from a mentor or father that said God is worthy of our worship and we should approach him with reverence. But when they realized that our, ca- our culture had gone so casual, they thought, well, let's adjust our services and make our services really casual. And they lost the connection between their fathers. And now there's really no telling where they're going to end up. There's no boundary on that side. You understand how, if you lose the connection to where you were, then you don't know where you might end up. I'll use another example: those that have released themselves from their father's music in service in a church, They're now they will now end up in a field that actually embraces secular music in a church service, and it's happening, folks. You know, I and I've just my example I received from from good men, men that are my mentors in a. God is a, is a God that deserves to be worshipped and you can't take something from the world that's profane and change the lyrics and worship him with that. And yet many churches and young pastors have, have cut off the connection they have that they received and said I'm cutting off that connection so I can go in a different direction and by not having an anchor on that side uh, they've gone all the way even into secular music on this side. They're wandering about in the fields of the fatherless. Some that have released themselves from their father's standards have ended up being okay with things like social drinking. And I know that's a hot topic. and I'm I'm not trying to be offensive tonight. Um, But I I mean, I think from Scripture, you can see very clearly that a Christian ought to stay away from alcohol. And yet the, the moment that... A young pastor cuts off his connection with his father. And what do we see from this generation? On this end, there's no anchor and there's no tether pointing him to go where he should go. And so because you don't know where he came from, you don't know where he might end up. Um, Many have released themselves from their father's Bible version for a trendier sounding language. Language. And they've lost the emphasis on things like repentance in Matthew 9. That verse taken out, Matthew 9, 13. And the blood in Colossians 1, 14. In whom we have redemption through his blood, through his blood taken out in newer versions. Uh, 1 John 5, 7 talks about the Trinity. And it's taken out altogether in newer versions. But because young men and new generation Um, says, well, you know, I I really want to go in a different direction, so I'm going to cut the ties. I'm going to cut off the anchor that I received from my Father. Then there's really nothing guiding them over on this side. They kicked down the landmark, and now there are no boundaries. And we ought to be careful that we don't let go of the things we've received without fully understanding why we received them. And that's why I choose to keep the things that have been handed to me from my mentors. It's like a message I preached back in February about taking down fences before realizing why they were there. And the cows got through and made a mess of everything. And it's because I took down a fence and I didn't understand why it was there. It's almost like you watch these home remodeling shows and, and you see how people get all excited because you know, they want the open space. They wanna open, let's open up this space right here. And they decided to take out a wall before they check to see if it's a load bearing wall. And that doesn't end up well. And that wall's there for a reason. And yet, when it comes to faith, we see many people letting go before understanding why they're necessary. Doctrine is essential, the truth of God's word matters. And we cannot flippantly let go of it just because of the pressure of the culture is saying, hey, tear down the walls take down that load-bearing wall, kick down that fence that's there for a reason, let's embrace each other in unity. We have to be careful just because the pressure of the culture is there not to let go of those things because they're there for a reason. So to review what we talked about, we we don't mandate doctrine because we believe in individual soul liberty. That's one of the things we'll be talking about as we go through this. You know, biblical authority, autonomy of the local church, priesthood of the believer, uh, those things. You know, two ordinances, baptis- or baptism and local church, or a ba- yeah, two, two baptism and Lord's Supper. And then, you know, you just go on. You've probably heard those. Um, but we don't mandate doctrine because we believe in individual soul liberty, meaning every person makes a choice. Every person has a choice. We will not mandate it, but we will teach it without apology, and we will distance ourselves from those who teach false doctrine. We also talked tonight about because things that are different, they're not the same. And two can't walk together except they are greed. And you can't fit a square peg in a round hole. And two sets of doctrinal beliefs and practices don't equal some beautiful picture of unity like we're led to believe. You can't have unity without purity. And then the last one is we have to resist the urge to let go of the things we've received simply because of the pressure to kick down some fences. Many people are doing it. But if we believe that doctrine matters and things that are different are not the same, we have no choice but to hold that line. Doctrine matters and it should matter to us. Yeah, it should make a difference to you. And as we go through doctrine and study why we're Baptists and look at Baptist distinctives, would you decide not to dismiss it just because it's, well, it's another doctrinal message. It's not as applicable. Yeah, it's like going to class. No, I believe there are plenty of people who look at this kind of study maybe as non-essential, but based on the direction of our culture and the pressure being put on Bible believers, can you tell me a study we need any more than this right now? Doctrine matters if we want uh, three final thoughts. Again, very random scattered message tonight, but doctrine matters if we want first to stand. If we want to stand, it matters. It matters. See, to, if we're going to stand against the pressure that downplays objective truth and exalts the individual to the highest level, we need doctrine. Otherwise, we'll be carried about with emotion. And if we're going to stand when others say doctrine is less important than love and unity, we need doctrine. It needs to matter. If we're going to resist that, we must be convinced from God's word that what we believe and why we need it. So, if we want to stand, we need doctrine. if if we we need doctrine if we want to preserve see if this is a matter of conscience then our children must be convinced that doctrine matters again you don't force it on anybody Uh, the next generation has to come behind us and they have to see that we believe this strongly enough that they want to believe it strongly enough and this isn't by force. We, we can't make them believe it. We must know what we believe and why well enough to articulate it in a convincing way for their sake. If we can't convince the next generation that it matters, who do we hand the baton to? And if it's going to matter to them, it needs to matter to us first. Otherwise, guess what they'll be doing when we're, they're handed the reins and we're going off the scenes, guess what they're going to be doing? They're going to start kicking down fences. They're going to remove some ancient landmarks because before they realized why they were put up in the first place and because we didn't explain why they were so necessary. So to preserve what we have, we must be convincing to the next generation. So doctrine matters if we want to stand. Doctrine matters if we want to preserve. And doctrine matters if we want to please. Remember what we read back at the very beginning, 2 Timothy chapter 2. It says, study to show thyself, what's the word? Approved. You know what approved means? It means pleasing. So, if we're going to stand up, we need to know doctrine, sure. And if we're going to preserve it, we've got to know what we believe for the future. But most importantly, when we rightly divide the word of truth, it puts us in a position that pleases God. Approved. So, if you don't think doctrine matters, can you tell me anything that matters more than you living your life and pleasing God with it? If you don't think doctrine matters, read 2 Timothy 2.15. It does. You cannot please God if you don't cut it straight. So it matters because standing against pressure matters. Doctrine matters because preserving our faith matters. And doctrine matters because pleasing God matters. That's why it matters. And I pray that we'll have a renewed sense of the importance of doctrine as we look at some foundational truths from God's word over the next few Wednesday nights. And honestly, I, I don't think it will be revolutionary. It will probably be something you've heard before. But just a reiteration of why we believe, what we believe from the Bible. And, I, and Lord willing, the, the, first, the first one we'll look at, again, be in Baptist is biblical authority. And we'll start with the Bible. Because if we don't have confidence in God's word, then we don't have confidence in its doctrine either. And we'll start with that one, Lord willing, in a, in a couple of weeks.